So last week, uh, we finished a sermon series. We've been out through the fall where we looked at the four core values of our church. And um, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and we had this one Sunday in between today, December 17th. I didn't know what to do. So I started my week Tuesday, and I hate it when I enter my week and I have no idea what I'm preaching on. And so I labored on Tuesday to kind of figure out, Lord, what it is you want me to preach on. And wow, I mean, the Christmas story would seem appropriate. And so I just picked something and just started writing a kind of a traditional Christmas message, but it just didn't really sit right with me. Wednesday morning, early in the morning, having coffee with my wife, I was just talking about how um, I just wasn't feeling it. And we were talking about the weariness in people's lives. We were recounting just situations of people we know, people in the church, people outside the church, talking about our own lives. My wife quoted the words from my favorite Christmas carol, O Holy Night. She said, the weary world rejoices. No, that's it. There's this line in this carol, O Holy Night, that says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And that statement just kind of stuck with me. It resonated with me. And those aren't words of Scripture themselves, but that one statement, I think, just so beautifully summarizes these profound truths at Christmas. A weary world rejoices. Church, we're living in a weary world. I don't know if you feel it. You turn on the news, there's just weariness. There's just war. There's hard things all around us, not just in the news, but in our neighborhoods, right? People battling loneliness and anxiety, depression, sickness, death, loss, cancer, all sorts of things. I see it in our church here too, man. I just feel like this, this fall as a church, we've just... We've faced a lot of weariness. We've gone through a lot of loss as a church. People we've loved that have left us, that have left this world. There's a woman here this morning who said goodbye to her husband two weeks ago. She said that her husband, their eight kids are without their father here. A dear friend of ours died by suicide a number of months ago. We're feeling weary. We're feeling that loss. Maybe relationships in our life have changed. We're feeling that loss. Some injustice we're facing is causing us to be weary. Yesterday evening, I got a phone call from a gentleman in this church who's battling cancer and just recounting about how, yeah, the last report wasn't so good. And so um, on Tuesday, could some of the elders come and just lay hands and pray over, pray over him for this next leg of the journey. That was hard to hear. Late last night, I got a text from a young dad in this church saying his son got his hand stuck in the door at the school at soccer and, and just mangled his fingers and they had to take him into the, the plastic surgeon there in the city at, at uh, the children's hospital, and they weren't sure that he was going to be able to keep his fingertips. And man, this poor kid, he's just been in and out of the hospital his whole life, and now this. 
and I was just kind of recounting the situations in this family. And, 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 you know, I feel a lot of that because I love you. And we feel one another's weariness and we experience some of our own. So, man, I just feel like we've been in a weary season here in our church for lots of different ways. And, and, and I, I wonder if you just feel weary this morning. Maybe it's some loss. Maybe it's some sickness. Maybe it's some opposition you're facing. Maybe it's just like the weight of life. You know, I see some of you young parents with your little kids, and I just see the fatigue. (laughs) And I go, suckers, been there, done that. Oh, man, but then they become teenagers, and life doesn't get any less wearying. And I got great kids. And maybe it's just the weight and the burdens of life and responsibilities and tasks and challenges. I don't know if you find yourself just feeling weary, but I do. And if you do, for those who do, I I think Christmas can be a bit of a difficult time because Christmas is a time that's supposed to be about cheer. It's kind of about merriment. You know, we go to the mall and we see those words, love, joy, peace, and we we hear the carols playing, you know, saying words like silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, and it just conjures this picture of, of serenity, of peace and tranquility. And I don't know about you, but I wonder if there's many of you this morning that you just, if you're honest, you just can't really relate to that picture. And so you enter this Christmas season and, and, and you feel it's kind of tough. It's kind of difficult to enter into the joy of the season because of your weariness. But you know that night Jesus was born wasn't silent. I mean, have you ever been in a delivery room? I have three times. There was screaming. There's sounds I never want to hear again. I still have PTSD <laughs> those three nights. I mean, the night Jesus was born wasn't silent. It wasn't calm. There was a lot of chaos at Christmas. Yes, there was peace, but there was pain. There was life, but there was also death. I mean, there's parts of of the Christmas story that we don't really sing in our carols. The census being called that forces Mary, pregnant, heavily pregnant Mary and and, and Joseph to make this arduous trip 120 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. At, at, At the worst time, just when they've got their crib and their baby room and everything is set and ready and then... Everything changes, and they have to make this trip, and they get to Bethlehem, and there's no room for them. And Jesus has to come into the world. We're not really sure where, a stable, a cave, uh, you know, a dank basement. We're not really sure, but it's not a place where people are supposed to be. It's a place where animals live, a stinky place, a cold place, a dark place. Jesus isn't laid in, in, in a nice crib. He's laid in a manger full of hay. That night was holy. But it wasn't silent, it wasn't calm, and it wasn't bright. And then think of Herod, King Herod, who's delivered the news that there's another king that has been born. 
And he finds himself troubled and disturbed and the whole city of Jerusalem with him. There's another king that may challenge his rule. And so maybe you know the story how he sends his soldiers to the city of Bethlehem to find this little life and snuff him out before he can grow to become king. But God in his plan, he sends that angel to deliver that warning to Mary and to Joseph. And they have to flee to Egypt. And Jesus, in those first years of life, grows up as a refugee in a foreign land. That Christmas wasn't calm. It was chaotic. Not all the babies made it. Herod ordered his soldiers to kill all male children two years of age and younger and hoping to get rid of this newborn king. Yeah, at Christmas there was life, but there was death. And so in the Christmas story, we see this juxtaposition between, yes, joy, but then trouble. Peace and pain, life and death. It is a story that has weariness in it. And so when I was asking God what words to share with you, and I was kind of thinking about this statement, a weary world rejoices, I felt God drawing me to, to the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25, but I kind of resisted that, and I thought, God, those aren't really, those aren't really Christmas verses. That's not the sort of you know, passage you read at Christmas. But I felt He was maybe calling me to those words and then I went to this website that sometimes I'll go to just to look for some resources, and it has stuff on every part of the Bible, articles, sermons. And, and so I went to this website, and, and, and the main article at the front of the page was on Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. I mean, there's a lot of verses in the Bible. There's a lot of verses, but the, the exact seven verses that got laid on my heart, and I thought, God, should I? I don't know if I... And then... So all that to say, church, like, like, I think God wanted you to hear these words today, okay? So, so, so these words are not just words generally speaking to the church. These are words for you this morning. God intends for you to receive these words from Him today. Romans 8, verses 18 to 25, and so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of go through them um, little by little and comment on each verse. Romans 8, verses, starting at verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings... Paul doesn't say what sufferings he's talking about. He doesn't say your sufferings. He doesn't say my sufferings. He just says our sufferings, our present sufferings. I don't think he's talking about anything specific. I think he's just talking about the sufferings of life. The stuff that we're all going through. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's saying that there is something that is coming in the future for us. Some glory, some, some great joy, some life that is so great that, that in comparison to the, the present sufferings we go through... They don't even weigh anything. They're not worth considering our present sufferings. But he acknowledges in the present, we suffer. Not just us, but all creation 
suffers too and groans. This is what he says in verse 19 through 22. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All creation is groaning and waiting and longing for something that is to come for this liberation that will be brought to it. You see, Jesus' mission in coming into the world and taking on flesh is far bigger than just liberating us and forgiving our sins and giving us new life. It's a bigger mission than that. Jesus has come to restore all that God has made. And here he says in each of these four verses, creation. The creation waits. The creation was subjected to frustration in hope that it will be liberated from its bondage to decay. All of creation groans as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And I don't know exactly what that means, that all of creation groans. It's in bondage to decay. What would it look like for uh, you know, the, the world that God had made before it was corrupted by sin, before it was broken, what would that have looked like? It, it's hard for us to even imagine, but Paul says Jesus' mission is way bigger than just saving us. It's about restoring all that God has made. So Paul will say in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, for, for God was pleased to have all of His dwellness or fullness to dwell in Jesus and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Why did He die on the cross? To reconcile all things in heaven and on earth to God, to restore all that sin had broken We sang a song here, Amazing Grace. One of the verses was, the earth will soon dissolve like snow. I'm not sure who wrote that and kind of what they had in mind when they wrote those words. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but I think it can conjure a picture that's not what the Bible teaches, right? That this world is just going to pass away and God's going to give up on it. He's just going to create something somewhere else, earth 2.0. No, God's plan of redemption is to redeem, to restore, to renew all that He had made, the whole created order. Paul says, creation is not destined for destruction, but for restoration. These groanings of the world are not death pains. I don't know if you've ever been in a, you know, in, in a hospital room where, where someone was dying and you just kind of felt the guttural groans as the You don't forget that. But Paul says these groanings here, these sufferings, they are not death pains, death groans, but they are birth pains. My, my oldest daughter, Annika, she turned 17 yesterday. How did that happen? How do I have a 17-year-old? I'm way too young for that. Yesterday, I, I, I was recounting with her about the day of her birth. December 16th, 2006, Steinbach, Manitoba. 
born in the same hospital that her grandmother, my mother, was born in. The same room, probably. Probably the same equipment. <laughs> that hospital was old. It was very dated in there. But I remember that day well. It, w- it, was, it was at the very same time one of the hardest days of my life and one of the joyful days. At the very same time, there was kind of great pain and also great joy. I, I remember that moment where, where Erica was just laboring and groaning, and I can still remember our midwife saying to her, Erica, you have to push. You have to push. We have to get this baby. And I, could, I could hear the little blip, the heartbeat of Annika getting weaker and weaker. Boop. Erica, you have to push. We have to get this baby out. And I don't know how she did. She just mustered the strength. It was an incredible thing. Thank God I'm a man. <laughs> I think I don't think. Couldn't believe it. What you women do. What started in pain and agony ended in joy. All creation groans, and Paul says not just all creation, but us too, those who know and belong to Jesus Christ. He says in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to... our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He says there's two things that we as Christians are doing. We are groaning inwardly. Here he's just talking about the experience of all the sufferings, of all the weariness of life. We are groaning inwardly while at the same time we are waiting expectantly. Waiting for what? Waiting for our adoption to sonship. Does he mean Oh, oh, okay. Should I start from the beginning? All right, I could probably yell loud enough, but for the sake of those that are watching online, we have some people that are shut in and sick, and they can only join us in that way, so I'll, I'll try to, as much as I like to wave my hands, I'm going to try to hold this mouth, or this, uh, this mic up to my mouth here. Um, when he says that we're waiting for our adoption of sonship, is he saying, it, 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 you're like an orphan in an orphanage, just waiting to be picked, you know, waiting for that, for that mother and that father to come by and see you and adopt you so that you would belong to them. Is that what he's talking about here? That, that's, not what he's, that's not what he's talking about, this kind of hope that we might be adopted by God. Because in verse 15, he says something kind of strange, because it kind of seems to be at odds with what he has said here in verse 23. In Romans 8, verse 15, he said, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now listen to that. The spirit you received. All right? So what he's saying is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you recognize your need for God's mercy, the weight of your sin, 
and you believed in Jesus Christ, that what he did for you on the cross and in the resurrection was he did everything necessary for you to be reconciled to God. And when you repented of your sins and stopped trusting in yourself and you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, at that moment you were born again, Jesus says, right? In John 3, you were born again by the Spirit of God. Not only were you forgiven, where God's just like, okay, I forgive you, wipe the slate clean, you got a new start, do better next time. No, you were born again by the Spirit. There is something new about you. God has caused His Spirit to dwell in you to begin a work of change in your life. He says, the spirit you received, past tense, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received, past tense, brought about your adoption to sonship, past tense. So he says, you're adopted, you were adopted, and now he says, now we're waiting to be adopted. What in the world is going on here? This is what we see in the scriptures. It, it's, it's, it's what we might call the already and not yet. Something has begun, but it hasn't been finished. Because it has begun, it will be finished. But we have not yet received the fullness of relationship with God in his life yet. We are legally adopted, but we have not yet become fully conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Receive full liberation of the power and the presence of sin. In the present state we live, Paul says, it's like an already but not yet. We are adopted, but we're waiting to be adopted. He says we have the, in verse 23, we have the, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What is a first fruit? A first fruit is the first of something. It's the fruit that's the first. And there's more to come, but it's the beginning. It's, it's like the appetizer, and an entree is coming, but you've got the appetizer. He says, we have received the first fruits of the Spirit, the beginning of God's work of restoration, but it isn't done yet. It doesn't happen all at once. We await the completion when we are fully conformed to the likeness of Christ and experience His glory in all its fullness, us and all of creation, in Christ, God has begun a work of restoration which will only be finished and completed in time. And so he says in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? As Christians, we live in hope. And like he says, hope means that there is something that you don't yet have that is coming, that you long for. If you're someone who, who feels totally contented where you're at, that's not the life of a Christian. We all, as followers of Jesus, are hoping for more, for the fullness of the life that Jesus has won for us. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it, patiently. There, there, there's a verse in Romans 5, 5, which the kids recited to us a few moments ago, that says, hope does not disappoint us. Paul's talking about the same hope. Your version might say, uh, we have a hope that does not put us to shame. We have a hope that does not disappoint us. Because sometimes we have hopes that do disappoint us, right? Every year I hope the Winnipeg Jets are going to win the Stanley Cup. And every year they disappoint me. 
when we use the word hope, often what we're talking about is this desired possibility for the future. It may happen, it may not happen, but boy, we really hope it happens. But Paul says, in Jesus Christ, we don't have that sort of hope. We have a better hope. We have a hope that will not disappoint us. Because our hope is confidence in a certain future. A guaranteed future that Jesus has won for us. That now we know only in part. But in time, we will know the fullness of. So that author of O Holy Night, when he wrote, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope. The birth of Christ is the breaking of the dawn. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that's where those words come that the author of Holy Holy Right used which says, those living in a land of darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of darkness, uh, a light has dawned. I believe is what it says, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And so Christmas is pictured as, as the breaking of the dawn. And what is the dawn? You ever been, early enough, uh, you ever been <laughs> up early enough for the dawn? Teenagers, you ever been up early enough for the dawn? You've seen the dawn? Right, and you've seen the dawn? Ben, you've seen the dawn? It's because you didn't go to bed the night before, right? That's why you saw the dawn. You stayed up too late. Right? What is the dawn? The dawn is not the fullness of light. It's the beginning. Right? At, at dawn, it's, 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 it's a mixture of light and dark. It's, it's the beginning of the darkness being dispelled. But it hasn't dispelled the darkness fully yet. It, it's the coming of warmth. But there's still some coldness as the sun rises. Christmas is like, according to Isaiah, the breaking of the dawn. It's the beginning. It is not the completion of God's work. It is the, but it is the guarantee that the sun will rise. And so, church, I just think Christmas is emblematic of this juxtaposition. It's re, it reminds us that we both groan inwardly and we expect eagerly at the same time. And so maybe this Christmas season you find yourself in a place where you are groaning in some way. I don't know. Maybe your life is just hunky-dory. Maybe it's never been better. Maybe you don't have a care in the world. Or maybe you're feeling weary. Maybe you are groaning in some way and you enter the season with all these candles and these gifts and you just don't feel it. And you wonder if you're missing something and the answer is you're not. Because Christmas is emblematic of this juxtaposition that at the same time we groan inwardly and we expect eagerly for what is to come, what Christmas has started, that will be finished only when Jesus comes again at the second advent. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, the words will be up there, he says to his disciples, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, there it is again, not just the renewal of those who trusted in him, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on thrones and you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's just, he's just describing the, 
the day when Jesus, as the righteous judge, will bring history to a close and he will judge the living and the dead when he comes the second time and completes the work that he began and completes in you the work that he began when he came that first time. We groan inwardly even as we expect eagerly. Paul says, if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Patience is a reference to time. Waiting. While we are waiting, while we are groaning in our present sufferings, whatever they might be, what is God doing? What is God doing? God is working. In our weariness, God is at work. So some of you, you're facing hard things, sickness, loss, grief, court, broken relationships, financial struggles, the burden of raising children. It's not just a burden, it can be a bit of a joy too. That's can be wearying. In our weariness, God is at work in ways we maybe don't even see or understand. I love these next verses, verses 26 and 27. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Is he saying that the Spirit groans? It's like if we could like hear the Holy Spirit interceding for us, what we hear is, oh, oh. He's not talking about the Spirit's groans. He's talking about our groans. When, when we're in a place of weariness or trouble where, where we don't even know what we need, we don't even know what to say, we can't even conjure words, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. The one who knows our hearts is advocating for us before God to bring about His will for us. He helps us in our weakness. When we are groaning, the Spirit of God is interceding. The Father is working to bring about His will. In verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That's a famous verse. We all know, we, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. I mean, look at the Christmas story. How does it begin? Christmas Eve. Some, some, you know, kids or teenagers are going to get up here. They're going to read the quintessential Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that everyone needs to go to their own ancestral town to register. And that's how the story begins, right? And so little Joseph and pregnant Mary have to get there somehow. Who knows how they got there? A cart, donkey, maybe on foot probably on foot, here this heavily pregnant woman traveling 120 miles at the worst possible time because Caesar Augustus had to issue a decree right then. What was God doing? I mean, this is pretty incredible. God 
was putting into the mind of the most powerful man in the whole world at that point, Caesar Augustus, to issue a decree right at that time. Why? To get those two little people and their unborn child from Nazareth up here, 120 miles down to Bethlehem, because Jesus needs to be born in Bethlehem. As God has foretold, right? In Micah. The Messiah will come, will be born in Bethlehem. So God, how does he do that? He uses the most powerful man in the world who thinks he's the king of the universe. And God's like, you're not the king of the universe. You're my pawn. Caesar, you're my pawn. I'm using you to bring about my goodwill for my people. What an interesting way to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born. Now, they didn't know what was happening at that point. They just thought this is the worst possible timing. But it was the right timing. It was God's good timing. While we are waiting in our weariness, God is working to bring about His goodwill for us. Paul says in Romans 5, verses 5 and 6, Christian, you can throw those verses up there. And this hope does not put us to shame, as I said a moment ago, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see at just the, what time? At just the, so it's not rhetorical, I want you to answer it. So at just the right time. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just, at any time, at the time, at a time, at the right time. Who, 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 who decided it was the right time? God. At God's perfect time, while we were still powerless, Jesus came and He died for the ungodly. At, at, at just the right time. Not early, not late, at just the right time. You see those disciples when Jesus was dying on the cross, they thought it's all over. Hey, we put all our eggs in this basket. This is the Messiah. This is the guy that's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And now it's all over and he's dead and all our dreams and our aspirations have gone up in smoke. Hopefully I can go back and still fish with my dad. They had no idea that when they thought everything was out of control, and things were in chaos, it was just the right time. God was bringing about His goodwill for His people. And in that time, they could not see it and they could not understand it, but it was just the right time. It was God's time. Paul was saying in Colossians chapter 6, verse 9. Christian, you can throw that next verse up there. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. Now, he's not saying, hey, don't feel weary. He's saying, hey, when you feel weary, don't give up. Don't give up. You might want to give up. You might feel like giving up. Don't give up. Keep trusting. Keep trusting God. For at the what time? Proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, when do we reap the harvest? At the proper time. And who decides what's the proper time? God decides what's the proper time, not us. God has a time. While we are waiting God is at work. And you know, that's what I'm reminded of here at Christmas because Christmas is just the beginning. Christmas is not the completion. It is not the conclusion. It is not the culmination. So if you feel weary and if you feel like you are groaning and you feel like you're suffering, take heart. Take heart. 
Christmas shows us God has begun something that in time he will bring to a conclusion. We will know his glory. God is at work. Faith isn't primarily about moving God, but moving us to trust God that he is moving. Let me say that again. Faith isn't primarily about moving God to be on our agenda, but about moving us to trust in God and his agenda. So let me ask the question again, church. Are you weary? Are you groaning in some way? Do you have any present sufferings? Take heart. Christmas means God has begun something that he will finish. There will be a glory that far outweighs all the trials and all the tribulations. Take heart. So as we bring this to an end here, and I invite you into a time of prayer, I just want to put two questions before you. First is this. How are you groaning right now? What does that look like in your life? What expectation does God give you that brings you joy in the midst of that groaning, in the midst of that weariness? I want you to bring those questions before God in prayer. And so um, just right now, God can hear all of us. Just have a conversation with him. And uh, if you want to bow your head, you can do that. Close your eyes. Just come before God and take a moment, church, to... Tell God about your groaning. Just be honest with Him about some weariness that you are facing. After that, just take another moment to thank Him that He sent His Son, Jesus, to bring you into life, to give you a hope to give you a future. Thank you for the work that he has begun in you who believe in him. And then just take one last moment and just say to God, I trust you, God, in this, in this groaning, in this weariness, I eagerly look to you. I put my hope in you. Father, we are so grateful that you sent your son on a mission to reconcile us to you. A reconciliation that we don't bring about by our own efforts, by our own strength, by our own wisdom. A reconciliation, a life that we just receive by faith in your son who has done it all. We thank you, God, that you have done all the work. 
We thank you that you have begun this renewal in us. You have given us your spirit. You have given us hope. You give us your power to trust you, to follow you. And yet, God, we, we still suffer, we still groan, we feel weary. I just pray, God, that you would just enable us, even in that groaning, just to look, look ahead, look ahead in eager expectation about the promise that you give, that because you sent your son once, that a time is coming when you will fulfill every promise you have made when every suffering will turn into glory and there will just be unending life. Lord, just to help us, help us to be thrilled again in our hearts by that hope and just to carry that hope with us through this Christmas season, even if we're carrying other burdens, Lord. We put our hope in you. This we pray in your Son's name, amen. Church, would you stand? And before the team leads us in this final song, uh, we don't often pray the Lord's Prayer together, but I want us to do that because Jesus has given us a pattern for how we ought to pray. And I think these are just uh, really appropriate words for us to pray together um, to God. And it's in the KJV version with the thighs and the thous because that's probably how we all know it. Um, so we don't pray this just out of our roteness, out of our heart, kind of by memory or without thinking about it. We really want to pray these words as, as a prayer of worship, a prayer of trust, that this would really come from our heart and, and, and be the cry of our heart before God. So why don't we pray this prayer together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.